of Worship, your source for commentary and discussion on worship, theology, and culture. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Welcome to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Thank you for joining me today as we are approaching Advent. Advent is just in a few days, beginning this Sunday. Uh, Advent always starts on either the the first December of the year, um, or in some cases, there are four weeks of Advent, so in some cases, it could be uh, the last Sunday of November. the usually the Sunday after Thanksgiving is going to be Christ, not usually always, the it's going to be Christ the King Sunday, in which it focuses on um, Christ's rule and Christ's reign over all things, including our fallen world. I know sometimes it doesn't seem like it, but Christ does reign, and he reigns over even a fallen world, and anything that happens happens because of his providence. And so even the bad things, we live in a fallen world and bad things happen because we live in a fallen world. One day that will not be the case. Um, and so Advent starts this Sunday. It is the beginning of the Christian annual calendar, not the end. The word Advent comes from the Latin Adventus, which means coming. And so it is a crucial time of remembrance, of observation, and reality in the liturgical year. And Advent represents a cycle of light present in a dark world. And so the season is not synonymous with Christmas, as many people might think. There are a lot of people that throw those terms around as synonymous. Christmas and Advent, they're the same thing. They are not the same thing. In fact, they are very different. Advent presents a place from which Christmas tide may continue in the trajectory of Christ's life. And a common misconception of Advent is that the season prepares for the celebration of the first coming of Christ. But by intent, Advent focuses primarily on the second coming of Christ. So Advent's focus on the first coming should only be considered in relationship to the second coming. In other words, the church's connection to Israel in awaiting the Messiah. Uh, The second coming really significantly impacts how one views the first coming and certainly impacts the way one worships uh, because of both. And so my aim here today is to offer an enhanced perspective on Advent and the second coming. What is the relationship, the connection between those two? So I am not going to get into an exhaustive eschatological study But I want to present to you a rather brief overview of the common perspectives of the return of Christ. Let me give you some brief, um, an overview of some interpretations. So there are three primary views on Christ's return, and all with respect to the meaning of the millennial reign. And so I want to briefly discuss each view. Again, this is not going to be exhaustive. This is not my area of expertise, but I want to give you some ideas. So I want to discuss each view so that there is a very spacious understanding. So first, there is the post-millennial view, which suggests that Christ will return after 
an unrelenting advance of the gospel in the world. In other words, Christ reigns not only from heaven, but also on earth. There are some scriptures that support this view. In fact, there are scriptures that support all of these views I'm going to present to you. Some of these scriptures that support the post-millennial view are Psalm 2, Isaiah 2, 2-4, Matthew 13, Matthew 28, and John 12. There are several theologians who have held this view, Jonathan Edwards, B.B. Warfield, Greg Bonson, and Kenneth Gentry. And a unique aspect of this view is that many elements hold levels of disagreement even within the same eschatological camp. For example, there is disagreement over whether the millennial reign is a literal thousand years or simply an extended frame of time. Additionally, some post-millennial theologians argue that Satan was bound by Jesus. This is also, as you'll see, similar to all millennialism, uh, while others argue it remains a future event in agreement with premillennialism. And so a post-millennial view does not include the concept of a rapture. You've heard of the, you know, sometimes people make too much of the rapture. We've made an entire industry on on it almost, uh, the Left Behind series and stuff like that. And so a post-millennial view doesn't include this concept as Christ's second coming and the rapture are one and the same. And so, um, you know, when you read scripture, there is no uh, word called rapture, but that does not mean it is not there. There is some evidence of it. Um, it's like the word Trinity. The word Trinity is not there, but there certainly is a Trinity in Scripture. And the post-millennial position also agrees with all millennialism that the church is the fulfillment of Israel. So, another commonly held view is the premillennial view. Most, Ameri- most American evangelical ministers hold this view, and it argues that Christ will return before a millennial reign. And so it's similar to the post-millennial view in that there is a debate over whether this reign will be a literal thousand years or if such language is figurative. Although generally, those who hold a premillennial perspective interpret scripture rigidly without much room for figurative language. Additionally, a subcategory of premillennial thought exists, and that is dispensationalism, which teaches that God works in disparate ways throughout history depending on the time frame or the dispensation of which there are seven. There are seven dispensations. The current dispensational period that we are in right now would be considered the Age of Grace. Um, dispensationalists also propose a literal rapture of the church prior to the seven-year tribulation, while a historical premillennial view, so there are two different premillennial views here, okay, subcategories, a historical premillennial view contends that such a rapture, and the rapturing of the church, this will occur after that tribulation time frame. Uh, some supporting theologians are Wayne Grudem, Robert Gundry, uh, ben Witherington III, and Craig Blumberg. John MacArthur holds a dispensationalist premillennial uh, view, which is uh, quite interesting because he is also, he claims to be Reformed and five-point Calvinist. That is not very common among that camp. A third viewpoint is the all-millennial view, which suggests a figurative approach to the thousand years and does not support a literal antichrist. And so in this view, Satan has been bound by Christ. 
And so the impact of sin has been greatly diminished. All, all millennial shares supporting scriptures with premillennialism. For some, some examples are John 5, 28 through 29, Romans 8, 17 through 23, 2 Peter 3, 3 through 14, and 2 Thessalonians 1, 5 through 10. Some supporting theologians, and keep in mind with these theologians I'm mentioning, this is all over the map, different time periods. Um, Augustine of Hippo, Martin Luther, John Calvin, uh, Louis Burkhoff, C.S. Lewis, and R.C. Sproul. Now, I would not consider C.S. Lewis a theologian, but certainly a very influential figure in Christian history. And so my aim here today is not to advocate for one eschatological view or another, but to provide a broad overview of perspectives. And many respected ministers and theologians throughout Christian history have fallen into these various categories relating to end times. And, and as any secondary issue, I would say it's good to understand them, to understand the various perspectives and to have your own opinion on it. But it's more important here in this case to understand that the return of Christ is certain and we should be ready for it at all times. So I mentioned earlier the Christian connection to ancient Israel, awaiting the Messiah's coming. This is a vital aspect to Advent. The connection to God's chosen people in ancient Israel. It's vital because these people awaited the coming of, of the Messiah, and in the same way we await Christ's coming, but through his second coming, because we know he's already come. And so we hold, Christians today hold an a substantial association with the children of Israel in the fact that we've been grafted into these chosen people. That's Romans 11. And Advent for believers does not focus primarily on the first coming, but of Christ, the second coming. And so as, as Israel long awaited the coming of the Messiah, God's people now yearn for his second coming. And so that's a misconception in Advent. People think it's synonymous with Christmas. It's about the first coming. It is about uh, primarily the second coming. And the only reason it is related to the first coming is our connection with Israel. As Israel waited, we also wait. Israel, a people in bondage, broken, tortured, and hated ancient Israel, they longed for the one who would come to save them, although their idea of this person was vastly disparate from the one who truly is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. They expected a strong military leader. And we also await, but for the second coming, and as a people who live in exile, and we are nothing but sojourners in a foreign land. And so when a Christian prays for the Lord to come quickly, it is an Advent prayer. When believers see the utter evil in the world and long for a better place that is home, it is an Advent longing. And when the church sings of God's reign on earth, it is an Advent proclamation that realizes a world where the Messiah reigns and evil is banished, much in the same manner Israel longed for a Savior. Well, that Savior has come and is here. But he will also come again to take his people, his heirs, to rule with him. Advent points to the second coming so that God's people may rejoice in the hope that presently exists. 
So how should a realization of Advent and what it is, particularly in relation to the second coming, how should it impact Christian life and worship? The realization of Advent should not be misunderstood or dismissed. Current trends suggest a falling away from the hope of Advent. What I mean by that is more churches seemingly dismiss the importance of Christmas tide in the church year and subsequently separate altogether from Advent celebrations. Perhaps you've been involved in a church that diminishes the importance of celebrating Christmas. Oh, I hate Christmas songs. Let's not, uh, let's just forego it. Let's sing a few Christmas songs just the Sunday before Christmas and that's it. So there is not a focus on the first coming of Christ and certainly because of that, there wouldn't be a focus on the second coming in Advent. Both are vastly important, but Advent offers a deliberate way to worship Christ by honoring the promise of his second coming. And so in a hopeless world, Advent offers hope which is certainly foundational to Christian worship. As believers worship in the coming weeks, my prayer is that Jesus would be magnified and hope offered to the church by remembering not only his first coming, but also the hope found in the surety of his second coming. So my hope and prayer is that Advent is celebrated by you and fellow believers that we all together acknowledge not only the first coming, but the hope in Christ's second coming as we earnestly wait, as we yearn for him to return. So I hope this has been beneficial for you. I hope you will consider that throughout this Advent season. Remember, Christmas tide starts December 25th. It is 12 days. It does not start in December or on December 1st or right after Thanksgiving. That is Advent. And um, I think it is crucial that we remember the life of Christ in its completeness and that we share with what ancient Israel experienced uh, in awaiting the coming of the Messiah because we are awaiting his second coming. So I hope you have a wonderful Advent celebration in the next few weeks and that your Christmas tide is also wonderful as we celebrate and experience the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening today to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones.